So we're going to carry on this morning with our series on the book of Acts. We are coming towards the end of this series. Phil will be sharing next weekend uh, as part of the series, and then we might do one or two more messages. Uh, We've had an incredible time in the study, and uh, last week we did a little bit of an action montage. For those of you that weren't here, uh, we got up to Acts chapter number 12, and uh, then we went from 13 to 16 doing an action montage. If you've ever watched an action movie or a sports movie like Rocky, best action montage of all time, you know, running through the streets of Philadelphia, up the stairs, hitting stuff with sledgehammers. So we did a, our own kind of acts, action montage with Paul uh, with a sledgehammer of the gospel and running up the steps of, okay, my analogies fail, but running up steps. And, um, and, uh, and so we did our own one. We ended up in Acts 16. And in Acts 16, we paused for one moment to look at a story of Paul and Silas um, and how they ended up in prison for preaching the gospel. Um, but yet uh, they were praying, they were worshiping, God set them free, there was an earthquake that opened up all the gates, and, and they, were, they were set free, and we spoke about how they used their freedom, how they could have run away and, and, and saved themselves, but they stayed behind to save the life of, of the jailer that was about to kill himself for having failed at securing the, these prisoners. And so how we get to use our freedom as Christians is not just going out there and do what we want. The gospel offers us freedom, and people often are afraid of that. They say, well, if you're free as a Christian and God's grace is in your life, then you'll just go out there and live any way that you want. But the truth is, is God's grace changes our hearts, so we are able to even restrain ourselves in certain circumstances in order to benefit others. And that's the true use of, of freedom, is to be able to serve Others. And so we spoke about that last week. And uh, from there, uh, Paul moves on. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through about four chapters. Uh, just We're going to just skip through them this morning. But Paul goes on and, and he continues preaching. He continues seeing miraculous things happen. Uh, just as he's ministering, people are being healed. People are being delivered. Uh, there's a ton of stuff happening. He also continues getting into trouble, which is normally what happens when you preach the gospel. And um, it's actually pretty cool. Paul starts these churches and, and, and visits these cities. And as he's traveling, for example, he goes to Thessalonica, and uh, he's there for about a month, starts this great church, and then uh, it, you know, has to leave because there's a mob that wants to kill him. And, and so he starts this church. A month later, he leaves. He leaves Timothy in charge and sends a couple of guys there to strengthen those guys. He moves on uh, to Corinth, and he's afraid. This is one place, Acts 18. Paul is absolutely petrified of Corinth because the guys hate him. They're hard. They, uh, they, don't, they don't want him there. And, uh, and Paul literally fears for his life, and he's like, I'm going to get out of here. And God speaks to him in a vision and says, don't be afraid. I've got many people in the city who are my people, and nobody's going to harm you. And Paul ends up staying in that city for, for about a year and a half to two years. He stays in Corinth, building the church, and uh, we read that in Acts 18. He moves on to Ephesus and, and, uh, and starts a great church there in Ephesus. And so it's pretty cool if you read the New Testament that you have the book of Acts, you see how Paul started these churches, and then he writes letters to those churches later on. So when you read the, the, letter of, uh, the letters of, uh, to Corinthians, to the Corinthians in First and Second Corinthians, those are letters to that church that we see Paul establishing in Acts 18. And, it, and so just a little bit for you in your own Bible reading, when you read those letters, you can bring them back to Acts and see exactly how those churches got started and the miraculous event that caused them uh, to be birthed and uh, to grow. And so Paul is traveling around, he's doing these things, and he often needs to keep moving because his life is under constant threat. And at one point, uh, Paul decides he's going to go back to Jerusalem. He's trying to make it back to Jerusalem 
for uh, for the for the the, the Passover, and uh, and and as he's on his way back, uh, he stops off at one specific uh, place, and he asks for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come to him to come and see him because it was one of the things that he often instructed Timothy and Titus and all of those following him. He said, "Go and appoint elders. An elder is an overseer." Uh, it's the same thing as a pastor, somebody who oversees a church. And there's a plurality of, of leadership. There's a couple of pastors, a couple of elders together that are, uh, that are overseeing and taking care of that church. And, uh, and so that's what, what biblical leadership really looks like. But Paul, he calls for these elders from, uh, from the, uh, the, the church of Ephesus. And he says, I want to, to speak to you. And he has this incredible moment with them that we read about in Acts chapter number 20. So I'm going from Acts 16 this morning. We've skipped through a couple of cities and we come to Acts chapter number 20. And the reason why I wanted to share this message this morning is that because when I read it, so much of it just hit me. I don't know if it's because I had my earphones in and I was listening to Bethel at the time and just having some great worship music, but I read it and, and I, I almost teared up just in, the, just in the humility and the rawness of what it is that we've been called to. In fact, after we had our, our course, uh, this I believe, last month, on the final night, we spoke a little bit about this. We spoke about eldership and church leadership and whatever, and Chris and I were hungry afterwards, so we went to McDonald's, which I just want to le uh, let you all know I don't do often, so, um, so don't, don't worry too much, and, and, and don't follow my example either. Um, and <laughs> we went to McDonald's, and we sat out there, one o'clock in the morning, in the car, uh, just talking about Acts chapter number 20, this chapter that I want to read to you today. Just how Paul speaks to elders of the church, leadership in the church, and it just, it just hit me. Then we ended up listening to messages by John Piper in his car till about two, and then we were like, now it's a party, you know, so, uh, so eventually, eventually we went home. But I wanted to share this with you this morning, and I'm going to read just what Paul says. It's, we're going to go through a couple extra verses today, but I wanted to just um, read this what Paul says to these elders in Ephesus and, and why it is so significant is because Paul mentions it. It's the very last time he knows by the spirit God has revealed to Paul that this is the very last time he'll see them. If you've started a church and you love that church and you love those people and you call the leaders of that church together and you go, you won't see me again. Let me just share one last thing with you. It's kind of your parting words. If you had a parting word for your family or a parting word for your church, if somebody said to me that this morning was my last morning at Anchor Church and, and you, none of you will ever see me again, what would I share? And, uh, and what would you share if, if you were in that position? This is kind of the position that Paul is in. And what he shares is just, it's so not glamorous, which is the great thing about it. It's humble, it's raw, it's true, it speaks to the heart, and, uh, and you can see the passion of Paul coming through as he says this. So I want to go Acts chapter number 20 and verse 17. If you have your Bibles here this morning, or you uh, read your Bible on uh, whatever mobile device you may have, go with me to Acts chapter number 20 and verse 17. And we're going to read through a couple of verses here. Um, so I'm going to ask that you just follow with me nicely. For those of you that, um, that, are, that you're still waiting, you've ordered your Bible, but it's, it's, it's still in the mail, uh, we will have it for you up on the screen. Um, I know that's the case, surely. Um, Acts 20. You, just didn't ha you don't have data, otherwise you would have downloaded it last night, right? Acts 20 verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you 
the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. If there was anything I could share to help you, I didn't shrink back from doing it. I shared what was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house, wherever I was, I was sharing with you this, this great gospel, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem con constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Verse 24, he says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. What is the ministry that Paul received from the Lord Jesus? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's why I'm here and I don't shrink back. My life is worth nothing. I don't count it as worthy or, 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 or count it as precious to myself. It's not something to be guarded and protected and locked away in a cupboard. So that, so that it could come to no harm. I just wanna finish the race that God has for me, which is to let people know about God's grace. I wanna testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Later on in Galatians, Paul says, there is only one gospel. There's not a gospel of grace and a gospel of, of something else. There's only one gospel. And anything else is a perversion of the gospel, Paul says to the, to the church in Galatia. Verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone, out, gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Whatever God told me to share, I shared. Pay careful attention. Now he speaks to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul says people will come in and they will preach something that's not the gospel. They won't let people know about the grace of God. They'll twist it and they'll put their own emphasis in it and they'll add a little bit of this and they'll add a little bit of that. And, and Paul describes them as wolves that will come in and they won't spare the flock. Part of the job of elders, part of my job as a pastor and as an elder in this church is to, is to safeguard us against false teaching so that we can stay true to what God has called us to. He says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years, listen to the passion of Paul here. For three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I'm admonishing people with tears in my eyes. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are, are sanctified. Now we come to the, the part that I really wanted to focus on this morning. And, and this spoke so loudly to me. All of this spoke to me, but this is what I want to focus on this morning. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, he lifted up his own hands, ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus himself said, it is better to give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In verse 36, 
he finishes off and he, go, and he says, and when he had, it says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of, of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Such an incredible encounter between Paul and, and these leaders. Guys, what are we doing here? What is this all about? What is life all about? What is Christianity all about? Why did God choose us? Why did God put us in this place? Let's come back to what it's all about. Let's come back to be, be, being reminded of why we've been called, the reason for which Christ laid a hold of us. And I'm hoping to encourage you a little bit this morning uh, in this message called Better to Give. Let's, uh, let's just pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the same God that was there present with those disciples and with those elders and with those leaders back then, those believers, God. We, we thank you that you're the same God who has been present through all the ages and is present with us today. We thank you that the same power, the same ability, God, the same Holy Spirit is speaking to every one of us, God, and, and empowering us and inspiring us to live beyond ourselves, God, to, to live according to your grace, to the inheritance that we have in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that our eyes can be opened, that our world can be, can be renewed and refreshed, and that we can walk in, in the fullness of what it means to truly know God and be secure in the gospel. We thank you for that in Jesus' name this morning. And everybody said, amen. For any of you that have uh, young children, uh, especially when they start talking and start moving around, you'll know that young kids live in a world that to them is so new. Everything is basically brand new. Everything that they're seeing, they're possibly seeing for the very first time. Can you imagine just going back to that for a moment where you see an airplane for the first time or you see an animal in the zoo for the first time or you see a car for the first time? Everything that you're, that you're experiencing is brand new. And what toddlers or, or, or young kids, when they start to speak, what they often say, what my three-year-old boy has so often said to me is, Dad, you have to come and see this. Dad, you have to come and look. If you've, if you've got young kids, you'll know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. Dad, you have to come and see this because everything is new to them. Everything is fresh. They're seeing everything for the first time. I've got a video on my phone that's about seven minutes long of my three-year-old son spinning a bicycle wheel. Seven minutes, just a bicycle wheel. He's like, this is amazing. It just keeps going around. And I wonder if I do it one more time, if it'll come back again. And it just seven minutes. And he's just, and I'm standing at one point in the video, I crawl right up to him. And he doesn't even know that I'm there. He is just fascinated by this wheel that's spinning on the back of a bicycle because it's brand new. It's all brand new. Dad, you have to come and see this. So my son, he loves insects, he loves animals, he loves spiders, any basic living creature he, he loves. I killed, I think, a cockroach the other day, and, and he was like, Dad, is that one of God's creatures? And I was like, no, that one belongs to the devil, you know? Um, but <laughs> it does, it really does. That and cats, cats and cockroaches. So, just kidding about cats. Okay, so I'm going to get fired. So, um, 
So he calls me and he says, Dad, you've got to come and see this. Whenever he finds a spider, and it's normally a daddy long legs hiding away behind the hi-fi or behind the speaker somewhere. You know, those that are just kind of always there. Nobody really uh, bothers with them. And, and they're just kind of like, I'm not here. I'm not here. Just leave me alone. Uh, but my son, he's crawling behind speakers. He's crawling behind cupboards and into cupboards, always wanting to find these spiders. And so one day he comes to me and says, Dad, you have to come and see this. The spider is eating something. And I, I thought, okay, it's another daddy long legs. And I was like, okay, boy, I'll come look at it now. now. And uh, he came to me a few minutes later and he's like, Dad, please, you just have to come and see this. And I'm like, okay, boy, it's probably just another daddy long legs. I've seen it before. I'll come look now. now. And the third time he was like, please, Dad, just come and look at this. And I walked over to it and it was actually the, the, the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Because in the corner of the garage, there was a black widow, a button spider, eating a scorpion. I mean, if you could just imagine a scorpion caught in a web, and I was like, wow, that is actually quite something. I, I'm glad I decided to come and see this. Um, and I actually took a photo, but I don't have it here to show you this morning. Um, but he just wanted me to, uh, to see this thing that, that was so new to him. And for those of you that know me, my friends know this about me especially, is that this is actually something that I really enjoy doing, is introducing people to things that I love. If I've, if I have a saying, and those of you that are, you know, that have been friends with me for a while, you've probably heard me say this, where I'm like, this is gonna change your life. Because I'm always telling people that, oh, you have to come to come to the, let me take you to the bush. You just, it's gonna change your life. Let me, let me show you how to play golf. I mean, Chris knows, I've tried to enlist him in pretty much everything I do. He's been to the driving range. He's now picking up photography. I mean, anything I do, I'm like, you have to see this. It's gonna change your life. And, uh, and I love doing that. I love uh, seeing that same kind of wonder awakened in others because it's like I get to experience it all over again, seeing other people discover the same loves that, that I I've discovered. It's like discovering another world. Uh, when somebody goes into the bush for the first time, when, whenever people come from overseas, I just want to take them out into the Kruger Park or somewhere and just have them see nature in that way. And they freak out. I mean, I remember taking one guy from Australia in and we saw an impala by the side of the road. And he was like, stop, stop, stop. I have to get a photo of this. And he's taking a hundred photos of this impala. And I was saying, just save your memory because you're going to see a million of those, first of all. And, and second of all, it's just an impala. But it's a whole new world, and, it, and it's so exciting, and, it's, and, and I love to do that. I love to see people uh, discover this new kind of world. And when Scripture speaks to us, when Paul writes to us, when Jesus is speaking, this is often what they're saying in essence, is that they're saying, you've got to see this. Your life is going to change. You'll never be the same again. This is going to change your life completely. You just got to, I want to introduce you to perhaps a world that you haven't known before. I want to show you a new way of living and introduce you to some things that, that you, you think you may have known, but you have no clue how incredible they really are. We become so jaded as people that we, we often think that we, we know it all. We know what's, what's out there. We know what's, what life is like. We know the slog that it is. We know what happens every day. And we can kind of just rest in that and go, I know what life is about. It's like how I grew up. Uh, spending holidays at the, at the coast and seeing the ocean and uh, even swimming in the ocean and even snorkeling every now and again and, 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 and opening my eyes when I was under the waves or whatever and thinking, I know the ocean. I know what the ocean is like. I know what's inside of the ocean. But I'll never forget years ago when somebody gave my wife and I a gift to go out to the island of Zanzibar and uh, we decided to, to 
uh, go scuba diving for the first time, to do our open water one course and go scuba diving off a reef that was uh, around, or a little atoll that was around another island just off the coast of Zanzibar. And we got in the boat that day and we started traveling out uh, to this, this other island. And I mean, the sea was incredibly beautiful. Uh, all kinds of blues, turquoise, and where the sand, it's white sand underneath before you hit the reef. So it's just incredibly beautiful. These massive clouds in the sky. It felt like the sky was bigger somehow out there than it is in, in, in the normal places that, that we go to. It was just this incredible uh, landscape. And, and, and we kind of thought, well, we've seen the ocean. We, we're expecting that it'll be nice, there'll be some fish and there'll be some great things, but, but we had no idea what we were about to discover. And to this day, my wife and I, whenever we talk about that first time that we went down to about 20 meters, we went down onto a, 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 like a white sandy uh, floor, we did all of our checks, and then we swam off the edge of the reef that's around this island. And we came uh, alongside what's known as a coral wall. So instead of there being coral beneath you that you're swimming over, beneath you it's just, it goes, you know, it's a little bit scary when it goes blue, dark blue, and then black, and it's just kind of, I wonder what's down there. Um, but next to us was this incredibly beautiful, it's a wall of coral. And as we swam next to it, there's eels coming out and all kinds of colors and, 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 and fish that we'd never seen before. And we got out and we were like, has this been there all the time? <laughs> I mean, we've been on the top of the ocean. We thought we knew the ocean. We thought we knew what fish looked like. But when you get down there, we're like, this is, do other people know about this? I mean, has, uh, do people understand what's down there? It's mad. It's crazy. And since then, it was one of those things that I try and get people to do. No, you have to go and scuba dive. You have to go to a tropical space somewhere and go and see what the beauty of our oceans actually hold. Because it was mind-blowing to know that there was this whole other world out there that I had never seen, never experienced. And I was only seeing it now for the first time. So when Paul comes to these elders and he's speaking to them, uh, these overseers of the church, he he, he says, I implored them with many tears. Where I admonished, when I encouraged people, I wasn't kind of blase about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, there's a gospel and, and God's called us to some great things. And, you know, you, you have a great life. This might be the same or a little bit better. Not sure yet, you know. No, Paul admonished them with tears in his eyes because he wanted them to see this. This whole new world. This whole new way of living. This whole new way of understanding life. This fullness of life that very few people actually get to experience. He's essentially saying to the people in Ephesus, to these elders, guys, don't miss this. Don't miss this great opportunity. Don't miss the beauty of what we've been called to as leaders, as Christians, as followers of Christ. There's a passion that rings in Paul's voice. Don't miss what God has for us. And this morning, my, my hope is to echo that heart and that passion to you. Guys, don't miss, let's not miss the fullness of the gospel and the life that God has called us to. Jesus did not live 33 years on this earth and die on a cross so that we could go to church on Sunday and then have lunch afterwards. Jesus died so that we could enter into a relationship with God and live a brand new kind of life. Be free from things we never thought we'd be free from and grab a hold of things which was never in our power to grab a hold of. And then he comes down to verse 33 and he starts to deal with something specifically which really has 
been for many people an issue in the church. In fact, it's one of those things that can be real dangerous to talk about in church. And that's when he talks about money. He talks about possessions. He talks about what we, what we own. But he's talking about more than just money. He's talking about our desire for money. He's talking about our dependence upon money. He's talking about what money represents in our lives. And so this morning, I'm actually gonna do it. I know that you all might be nervous, but I'm gonna talk a little bit about our money. My money, your money, our money. And this brand new world that God has called us to. A brand new way of living. And, and the things that I share this morning will obviously apply beyond our money. And, and this is what I love about doing exegetical preaching uh, as we run through the scriptures is that this stuff is in scripture. And in order for us to dodge it, we have to dodge scriptures. We have to jump over Acts 20. We have to jump over so much of what Jesus said. And I don't wanna do that. I wanna be faithful this morning. And I'm hoping to encourage you to understand that what God has put, you, put in your hand is for greater purpose. So let me just start off a little bit of a disclaimer by saying a few things. First of all, I want to completely acknowledge that the church has misspoken and been wrong about money too many times. The church has approached prosperity many times, often in the incorrect way. And it actually leads people into a deeper dependence upon money rather than setting them free to be used by God. It keeps them on the surface instead of diving down so that they can go and see this amazing coral reef that's down there. And so I'm very well aware of the fact that the church has misspoken about money and the idea of prosperity. The church has also often misused money. That's nothing new. That's been happening for centuries. Wherever you have fallible human beings who are in charge of the church, uh, people will get tempted to fall into this trap. And that's exactly why the last thing that Paul shares with these elders is, watch out for your hearts that you don't fall in love with money. Watch out. Don't fall in love with money. Don't fall in love with it. It's a trap. It promises a better life. It delivers an empty one. There is a greater life and world out there. So I'm well aware of the fact that the church has misused money, that pastors and leaders have often fallen into the trap of loving money. And I wanna tell you this morning that it saddens God more than what it saddens me and what it saddens you. God does not want his people, he wants them to be free. We looked at that last week, Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free, not to be enslaved again to earthly things. So it saddens God when the church fails in this regard. And when it comes to our church, we're not uh, uh, immune to this. We could fall in the same way. And that's why we, we, we've put certain structures in place and we wanna keep everything open and we wanna keep everything accountable because we want to, people to know that we are safeguarding ourselves against falling into that trap. We don't ever, and this is the prayer of my life, I'm praying that God would help me do this. I've only just begun in my journey, it's many more years to go, but I'm praying that God would help me to never be involved with or move into a space where anything that I do or that, or that I love will become a hindrance to the gospel. I don't want anything to hinder this great message of the gospel. That's, that's what I'm, I'm really passionate about because I believe that God has more for us. We want to be a church that is known more for what we stand for than what we stand against, Right? We wanna be a church that's known for what we stand for. And, and yes, the Bible is against 
many things. There are many things that the Bible speaks out against. But it's only because God is so passionate about us experiencing the fullness of why he created us and why he created life. So yes, God says, I don't want you to be involved with that, but it's not because I'm trying to take away. It's because I'm trying to help you see this whole new way of living, this whole new world. Come and see this. Dad, come and see this. You've got to see this. This is going to change your life. God wants us to experience the better. I was having a conversation with uh, one of the guys that, that I meet with regularly and just do some discipleship with, and, and we started talking about sex. And, uh, and I just said to him that, you know, a lot of people see Christians and their view on sex as restrictive. We just don't want people to, to have sex before marriage. It's just a rule, and we just don't want people to do that. But when you understand God's heart, he, he doesn't want to just restrict people from having sex. He wants them to experience the fullness of why he created sex. It's because he has something better in mind. It's like when I say no to my son for something specific because I have something better in store for him. And it's the same with when it comes to our money. When God calls us to view money in a certain way, it's because he wants us to experience the fullness of it. The, 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 the blessing that is, is latent there in what God has put in our hands. So my heart... And as the leaders here at the church, this team, our heart is that we would all win in regards to our approach to finances and in living the life that God has called us to, to live. And in order for us to really live the life that God's called us to live, a big part of that is not to fall in love with money. Money represents value. If you pick up a, a, a hundred rand note and you pick up one of these envelopes off of our chairs, they're basically made out of the same thing. It, it's, still, it's still just paper at the end of the day. But what makes money valuable is that we've decided that that piece of paper uh, can be used as currency, can be traded as currency. And we use that currency in exchange for things that we value in our lives. That's why money means so much to us. First of all, we work for it. We spend every day out there earning this money. And when we have it, we want to exchange it for the things that we, that we value. You won't, if, if, if you hate, uh, uh, let's say, TV, you're not going to go out and buy a 20,000 rand TV. If you hate golf, you're not going to go and buy the most expensive set of golf clubs. If, you, you know, if, you, if, you're, if your best friend is having a birthday, you think for months about what you're going to buy them, right? And you save up the money, and then when it's time for their birthday, you go and buy them an elaborate gift for their birthday because that's how you value them. But if it's somebody that you don't really know, I know what you do. You keep that gift you didn't like from your birthday. You just repackage it and then give it to them. <laughs> and you just hope you don't give the same gift to, or the gift that, to the same person that gave it to you because that would be awkward. But, but when we value something, we would give our money in exchange for it. We value life, so we give our money for food because we hope to survive. We value good food, so we give our money uh, to go to eat good food. We value education, and so we give money for books and tuition to learn and to be educated. We value entertainment, so we give our money in exchange for movies and TVs and, 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 and uh, satellite dish description, uh, subscriptions, etc. So you will exchange your money for what you value in your heart. It's a real indicator of what's going on in your heart and what you really love. In Luke 12, verse 34, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you've, you're putting your money, that's where your heart is. The movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. How I use my money, how I spend my money. Because we exchange our money for what we value. So this is where money can be really hazardous in our lives. Is when we become more dependent on certain things we feel we need to have than we are on Jesus. When we feel that our worth and significance is tied up in what the car we drive looks like. When we feel like the worth and, this, and our significance and our value in society is dependent upon what neighborhood we live in or what clothes we wear. When we begin to, and this is a, a, a temptation for all of us to start to, to uh, uh, see things around us, things in this world as the things that really give us worth and value. And that's what God wants to uh, prevent us from, from falling in love with because ultimately it shows what we truly worship. You can say, yeah, I worship God. But so often if you look at your bank account and you look at your, your diary, how you spend your money and how you spend your time, it shows what you really worship, what you really hold on to. Now there's no judgment this morning. There's no condemnation if you're thinking to yourself, whoa, I really do put a lot of stock in that. Excuse the pun. But... But the truth is God wants us to be increasingly free in our lives from what we hold on to. Sometimes we sit on the boat like my wife and I out there on that island and out on the ocean. And we sit on the boat and we fall so in love with the surface of the ocean, how blue it is and how beautiful it is and the white beaches that we can see and the, and the big clouds in the sky that we miss out on the whole new world that lies just 18 meters below the surface. And that's what God wants to set us free from. He wants to lead us into a better kind of life. Sometimes we're so in love with our money that we miss out on something that is more blessed than getting, and that's what Jesus said was to give. We miss out on giving because we're so in love with money. We miss out on being blessed through our giving because we're so in love with it, because we find our security and our, and our value in things. I was listening to a message by Judah Smith recently and he said, our giving problem is actually a gospel problem. Our problem, just like when we spoke about prayer, we said we, the reason why we struggle to pray is not because we lack commitment often, it's because we actually lack faith. We don't really know if God is going to answer our prayers and it's the same when it comes to our money. The reason why we don't give as often as we know we should is because it's not because, we are, uh, because, because we're just not committed or we haven't made a plan or we haven't budgeted for it. It's actually because it's an issue of faith and we don't know if we've really put our trust in God to provide for us. Like we say we trust in God, but when your bank account is empty, I've personally found it harder to trust in God because it, it's a little bit of a clue to me of how much value I put on the finances that I get in and, and how much I rely on those things rather than relying on God. And Jesus speaks, the gospel speaks right to the heart of this. He says, don't you know your father? Don't you know who your God is? Don't you know how much he loves you? He says it's, it's heathen people that pray for the next plate of food or the next piece of clothing that they can wear. 
He says, look at the birds of, of the field. They, they're not working for their money. They're not even, they're not even toiling. They're not sowing. They're not, they're not uh, reaping. They're not doing any of that. But yet your Father who is in heaven feeds them. Are you not worth more than those birds out in the field? He says, look at the flowers that grow. They're here today and tomorrow they're gone. But yet God has adorned them so that they, they look greater than Solomon that was dressed in all of his glory with all of his money. God dressed that flower and that flower didn't work one minute for it. That's your father. This is all in Matthew 6 and in verse 33 it says, so don't worry what you eat. Don't worry what you drink. But seek first the kingdom of God and God will add these things to you. In other words, put your faith in God. Put your faith in Jesus and he will add whatever you need. Question this morning. We, we want to be authentic. We want to be real. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe God will provide for your needs? I want to encourage us to go on that journey where we get to fully trust God. Not like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, you just require one more thing. You need to go and sell everything that you have. And follow me. That wasn't because Jesus wanted everybody to sell everything that they have. That's because Jesus was saying your heart, even though you want to follow me, is actually in your money. That's where you find your security. And I need you to be free from that. Come and see this. I've got something better. Come and see this. There's a better life. It's better to give than it is to receive. And the Bible says this man went away sad because he had a great many possessions. A sorrow over what we own in, in this life. This is the lie that money tells us. Money says to each one of us, if you lose me, you lose a very large part of your life. If you lose me, you lose what life can be for you. I am your life. Do you realize how big I am? That's what money is, is whispering in our ears. Money says to us, life will be real, truly life if you have me. Do we believe that lie? If we're honest with ourselves, hey, if you don't have me, what, what do you have? And Paul knew this is what riches would say to us, which is why I love the fact that when he speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, uh, Paul writes and he says, um, I want you to speak to the rich. And this is what I wanted you to tell the rich. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, he says to Timothy, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take a hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch that? How can we grab a hold of that which is truly life? By not trusting in the uncertainty of riches or any earthly thing, but in putting our trust in God who, who provides and to be ready to share and to be generous. That, you wanna grab a hold of life? You wanna know what it's like to live a full life? Become generous. Begin to, to give and to share and to be ready to meet needs and to be rich in good works. That's a full life. That's a full life. I've gone out on Saturday mornings often and, and, and shopped and I come back and if I normally find something that I like and I bought it, I feel good about it. But 
But I've got to tell you, yesterday when we were out in that informal settlement, handing out things to people, it's a fuller life. And the, and the joy of it lasts much longer than anything I could buy for myself. Lay a hold of that which is truly life. You've got to see this. This is going to change your life. Life is more than having stuff and accumulating money. Life is about doing good, being rich in good works, being generous and ready to share. And the Bible says that when we do this, we store up for ourselves a reward in heaven, a foundation for the future. There is a reward for our generosity. This is like scuba diving going, whoa, has this always been there? This whole new world I didn't even know existed. I thought life was all about seeing how much I can get until I die. No, 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 come and dive a little bit deeper. There's a whole new world that you can be a part of. Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter number 12. He's standing and he's speaking to a crowd and, and, and somebody in this crowd, I love this guy. He is such an opportunist. Uh, th this guy's great. I, I wish we heard more about him in scripture. But in, in Luke 12 verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus is preaching about the gospel, the kingdom of God, the angels, the heaven. You know, he's, he's preaching. And this guy goes, this is an opportunity. This is like an entrepreneur, like, right, like I, I need an investor. And he goes, Jesus, you, if you say it, he'll listen. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. Tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. He was obviously uh, the second born or the, or the last born child. And he says, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, now he, now he addresses the heart. This guy asks a simple question. Hey, can you just tell my brother to share the money with me? And Jesus goes, that's not my place. That's not relevant to why I'm here. I didn't come here to tell people how to share their money. He goes, but I want you to notice something that's happening in your heart. And this is normally those moments where people who speak up in these public contexts wish they hadn't. Because Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, desiring that which belongs to another. For one's life, listen, these are the words of Jesus. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life does not consist, according to Jesus, on what you have, on the abundance of your possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one, Jesus says, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Whoa, this is sobering stuff, right? I said we were gonna wrestle some stuff out here at Anchor Church and we're doing that this morning. You can be rich and not be rich towards God. You can have a great pension fund and a great retirement plan and yet be in, living in poverty because you don't know the fullness of what God has given to us and the life that he has called us to. There is a greater plan. Jesus says, be on your guard. And I wanna to say to, to us, church, me included, 
Let's be on our guard against all covetousness because our life does not consist of what we own. If, we, if I just mention for one moment that scripture that we read before in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, it says, God has given us all things to enjoy. He provides all things. And so even when God gives us money, he wants us to enjoy it. And sometimes we see that enjoyment in one particular way. But God wants us to understand that when you give, you actually get to enjoy your money more. When you grow the kingdom, when you're a part of something that matters, when you're fulfilling the purpose that God has, has put on your life, when you're helping other people, it's enjoyment. It brings a joy to us. I'm coming in for a landing here this morning, but in that scripture that we just read on Luke 12, the man in the, in the, in the audience is asking for an inheritance. He wants what his brother has. And so we come back to Paul, speaking to the elders in Ephesus, and he goes, you know me. You know that I didn't covet any man's silver or gold or, or apparel. I, I, didn't, I didn't desire those things more than I just wanted to share the gospel. You know that uh, even though I was free, he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, to earn a living through the gospel, in order that it wouldn't become a hindrance to some people that I was earning a living, I decided to work my, my, with my own two hands, making tents and selling them so that I can win some people. I don't wanna do anything that hinders the gospel. He says, you know me, I didn't covet. Jesus says, take, take watch over your heart, be alert that you don't covet. Why is it that Paul was able to not covet, and the man who stood in the crowd coveted what his brother owned, his brother's inheritance. I believe we find the answer in the verse before Paul says this, before Paul says, I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. In Acts 20, verse 32, I don't have it up on the screen, but I just wanna read this to you. This is what he says before he says, I did not covet. He says, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance, the inheritance. God's grace is able to give us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You see, this man was hungry. The man in, in, in Luke 12 was hungry for an inheritance. But if we, like Paul, come to understand the inheritance that we already have in Christ, the inheritance that we already have in heaven, all the things that will be ours in Christ and, and, this, and the streets of gold that we will walk one day and the, and the presence of God that we will in, get to enjoy one day, when we truly understand what lies ahead for us in heaven, the true inheritance, the true riches, we'll be free from coveting earthly riches. If you know your inheritance in Christ, you won't want the inheritance of your brother. You'll be free from the love of money by the grace of God. And when you're free from the love of money, you can become like Jesus, being generous with your life, with your time, with everything that you own. How are we to give? I love the fact that the Bible addresses each one of these things. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to 9 and verse 11. I just wanna read these. It says, each one of you, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. As long as Anchor Church exists and as long as I'm here with my team, nobody will ever be forced to give at Anchor Church. 
We're not going to manipulate you. We're not going to pressure you. We're not going to twist scriptures because the Bible is very clear on this. Everybody should give what they have decided in their heart. Not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's the kind of giving that God wants. People who love to give. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. There's the purpose of why God blesses us so that we can bless others, so that we can abound in good works. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. There's a whole new world here. There's a whole new world here. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. God is moving us towards generosity, which through us will bring thanksgiving to God. When you are generous, when you help those in need, people thank God for providing. And we are able to glorify God by being generous and blessing people. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but there have been moments in my life where God has moved me to bless somebody or to do something generous, and they are astounded they didn't know that anything, that people still do stuff like that. They, they stand there and they go, this is, you don't understand. You don't understand how I've, I've prayed for this. You don't understand how it's, it's mind-boggling because they experience the provision and the love of God and it builds their faith. It glorifies God when we're generous. And that's what we're passionate about, glorifying God. God doesn't want us to give reluctantly. He wants giving to be an action, as Chris said earlier today. He wants giving to be an action of our hearts. We love to give because God has set us free from the grip of greed and made us generous people. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give begrudgingly or under compulsion. Oh, I have to give. Give because of the miracle of what God is doing in your heart. Give because you value Jesus. Give because you want to see the kingdom grow. Give because you want to see hope shared with this city. But don't do it because you feel forced to. And don't do it because you're fulfilling some religious law or something that you're trying to earn through your giving. We don't earn through our giving. We don't earn God's favor through our giving. We give because we already have God's favor. Because he's already provided us all things. Finally this morning, here's just something that you and I can do. If we truly have the desire to be more generous, and more faithful with experiencing this whole new world that God has for us. If you want to be more generous, here's a few things you can do. And I hope that some of you will be taking notes here. Number one, we need to see the supreme value of Jesus above all earthly things. We need to come back to understanding who Jesus is and beholding him and being in awe of him. If you want to be, become more generous, it starts with seeing Jesus. When Jesus went into the, into the house of the tax collector uh, and, and he sat there and, and, and he ate with them, this tax collector who was uh, notorious by the name of Zacchaeus, he, he stood up and he said, without Jesus saying anything, he had just had a meal with Jesus. He stood up and he said, you know what I'm gonna do? Any person that I've robbed, I'm gonna go pay them back. And I can't remember, two or three or four fold. I'm gonna go pay them back. Jesus didn't say, hey, go please go give the money that you stole back. He got up and he had seen Jesus. When we see Jesus, our hearts get set free from the love of money. So that's the first thing. See the supreme value of Jesus above all things. Put your value in Jesus. Number two, pray. 
that God would help you. We've got to pray that God would help us to be free from the love of money. Pray for yourself. Pray for me. Pray for this church. Pray that we would be free from the love of money. Number three, trust God to meet every one of your needs. You, if, if you're worried all the time about whether you're gonna be able to pay the bills, you'll never become generous. So in order for us to become generous, we have to trust God that he will provide for us. Number four, set aside an amount that you would like to give on a consistent basis. That's as you decided in your heart. Paul writes to the Corinthians at another place and he says, uh, I want you to set something aside as you prosper. I want you to do it regularly. So, so uh, that's something that we can do if we wanna meet, be more generous is actually to put a plan in place where we can be generous. Say, hey, I'm comfortable giving this amount. That's what God is telling me in my heart to do. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna set aside a certain amount. We're not working with percentages here. We're just working with whatever God leads you in your heart. And then allow God to move you additionally. Because sometimes why we so desperately want a 10% tithe is so that we can give that and say, okay, God, now leave the rest of my money alone. <laughs> it's mine now. I did my duty. God doesn't want that. Give what God leads you to give. Those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Children of God are led by His Spirit. If God asks you to give additionally, give. And if one month God asks you to give everything, give everything. Give to the poor, give to those around you, give to the church, give where God calls you to give. So set aside something and then listen to the Spirit of God. And number five, wherever this is possible, put protections in place to safeguard yourself financially. Put protections in place. We've done that as a church. We have a financial committee. We, our books are open. In fact, at the end of this month, uh, probably in the beginning of August, uh, once we've compiled the report, we're gonna do a full financial report of the money that's come into Anchor Church and how we've spent that money. We have nothing to hide. That's just one of the things that we can do, but in your own life, if you're a, if you're a couple, have an accountability with your, with, with your husband or your wife or, or wherever, if you're owner of a business or if you're an employer or whatever you can do, set things in place to protect you, accountability structures. It's one of the ways that you can help yourself uh, to become more generous by dealing with money in integrity. I'm praying for us as a church and for every one of us. Like what Paul said when he had tears in his eyes and he was speaking to the elders of, of Ephesus, that we would truly learn as a church and, and as individuals what, what Jesus said and that we would learn that this is true, that it really is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I'm praying we won't just know that as a scripture we jot down and stick on our wall somewhere or, or, or memorize, but something we get to experience, that we would dive down below the surface of how everybody spends their money and go, there's a new world for us to enjoy and experience. I'm praying that we'll always be a generous church. We'll always be aware of the needs of those around us and we'll always be able to give and give in a great way. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm praying for you for that. I'm praying for this church and I, and I ask that you would join me in praying for that. Amen.